Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. I've learned not to move the mic, so I'm going to... Are we good? Are we good here? Awesome. Again, hey everybody, my name is John Carlos. I use he, him pronouns. Uh, we are in a series on Exodus, and we have an important question before us, a question I want to bring your attention to. Uh, and it's really three questions, but in the same way, it's really one question. And the questions are this. Does God see? Does God hear? Does God care? Does God see? Does God hear? Does God care? And uh, as we kind of jump in, um, I want to just provide a, a, a little trigger warning. We're going to be talking about things like suffering and trauma um, we're going to start up high and positive with things like genocide and just go deeper. So I just want to like, you just want to prepare, just like, because that's what the book is about. So I just want to be honest with you about that. If you need to breathe, I might breathe. If you need to cry, what I tell people when I cry is I'm not crying, you're crying. It works every time. It works every time. Um, and if you need to step out and just take some time, that's okay. That's okay. Can we just snap and, and, and affirm that that's okay? Amen, amen, amen. So um, we're in season two, episode two of the Bible. Um, and as such, some of you have no idea what's been happening. You did not do the emotional labor of reading or watching the last season, nor the last episode, really. So I just want to catch you up. Amen? Catch you up. Okay, so God, this is going to be really short. And I'm, it's not going to be very accurate. I just want to be upfront with you right now. So God made the heavens and the earth. And then that kid had a kid and a kid and a kid and a kid. And then eventually there was a guy named Abraham. Okay. Now Abraham, uh, Abraham, ever hear of Abraham? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Abraham, he, uh, he and his wife Sarah couldn't have a kid. And that was a big, big deal back then. Couldn't have a kid. That, they really, really, really wanted a child. And God doesn't just promise them a child. God promised them a people. God doesn't just promise them a, a son. God promised them a nation. And, he, and, and, and this promise says that God was going to give them more offspring than there are stars in the sky. Wow, what a promise, right? And, so, and not only that, but that from this line, from this family, would come blessing. Not just for this family, not just for this people, but blessing for the entire world. From the very beginning of season one, the blessing has never just been about you. The blessing has not just been about one type of person. The blessing has been for the whole world. And so salvation was going to come through this line. Liberation was going to come through this line. And then Abraham is a kid named Isaac. Isaac means the one who laughs. Because for years of not laughing, finally they have a, a child and they can laugh again. Amen? And so then Isaac has a kid named Jacob. And Jacob encounters God, and they wrestle it out. I'm just watching Brokeback Mountain for the first time. So they wrestle it out. I don't know. Just That's out of context. So they wrestle it out. And somehow, somehow Jacob wins. It's really, you know, it's, it's actually really interesting. And he gets a new name. He gets a new name. Jacob becomes Israel. And Israel means the one who wrestles with God. From the very beginning of this kind of religious tradition, we've been people that wrestle with God. We've been people that wrestle with the divine. We've been people that have conflict with the divine, tension with the divine, from the very beginning. And so Israel has many, many, many children. From him come the 12 tribes of Israel. And 
uh, Jacob, Israel, now has a son named Joseph. And Joseph is like the favorite. And you will either, you know, uh, and, and because he was the favorite, like all his brothers just hated him. And you will either empathize with his brothers or you were the favorite. So I don't know what that means about your family dynamics, but he was the favorite and he like had a, you know, rainbow multicolor coat thing, which I'm going to anachronistically say was about pride. Just, you know, um, and, and so he comes to dinner one day with his entire family and, you know, this family is like, what's up? And he's like, oh, I had a vision. It's so random. Uh, and it's like, oh, a vision from God. What, what was the vision about? Oh, it's so weird. Uh, in the vision, you all bow down to me. It's so weird. It's so random. I just, I just, just wanted to share that little tidbit thought, you know, it's just everyone bowing down. Anyway, so the brothers are like, nah, man, nah, man. And I, and they go a little, they go far. They go a little too far, right? And so they like almost leave him out to die. And then they're like, sell him into slavery, which I don't know if it's worse or better. I, I don't know. But so his entire story is like things, go south, and then things get a little bit better, and things go real south, things get a little bit, and go real south, until they go south again, and it just doesn't look good. But then he starts a consulting agency for dreams, okay? So he becomes a consultant, and the pharaoh, the king at the time, is like needing, like uh, having a bid for a contract, right? And so Joseph gets the gig. He, he interprets the dream, and in this consulting agency, he realizes that there's going to be a climate crisis in Egypt and in the surrounding area. And so he goes from a climate uh, a consulting agency to a, a climate agency, and he, he provides policy for Pharaoh to essentially use the abundance of the seven years that are good to prepare for the seven years of famine and climate crisis. And in doing so, because of his consulting and climate advocacy, he saves all of Egypt. Okay? Amazing. The story's going good so far. And so Joseph... His entire family, now he doesn't just save Israel, he saves his family as well from famine. Um, and now his entire family, about 70, are in Egypt. And then they have kids, and those kids have kids, and those kids have kids. And then comes a new pharaoh. And this pharaoh didn't really celebrate Black History Month, so he doesn't know that Joseph was, like, really cool and accomplished a lot. And, like, I don't know if you know this, but there aren't any white people in the Bible. And so it, because... As that, like, Joseph, this is Egypt, y'all. Everyone's black. Okay, so they're in Egypt now, and they didn't, they didn't have any of our fun history months, so they didn't know that Joseph did that. And so as a result, this Pharaoh knows nothing about the people of Israel. But in fact, the people of Israel, they're multiplying. They're growing. They're increasing. They're, 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 they're thriving. And that thriving becomes a threat. It becomes a threat, right? Um, has your thriving ever become a threat? Has your joy ever been a, a, a dangerous thing to the systems that be? And so this Pharaoh feels threatened by the people of Israel, and he decides to use his power and his chariots and his soldiers and his swords and his infrastructure and his systems to enslave them. And just, just again, just think about the kind of resources, energy, and power you would have to have to enslave an entire group of people against their will. And so he does that. But here's the weird thing. They keep growing. They keep multiplying. They keep resisting. They keep thriving. They keep living, even in abhorrent situations somehow. And then Pharaoh becomes more angry. Because Pharaoh is not just like a leader. He's not an elective representative. Pharaoh is the only game in town, okay? And Pharaoh, if we look at the theology of that time, Pharaoh 
was considered to be a god. Pharaoh was considered to be a son of God. Where does that language come in? So, so Pharaoh thinks he's God now, and Pharaoh has decided that he is done with the people of Israel, and he is going to use his power and authority and resources to wipe the people of Israel from the face of the earth. And if you think about the plan he's about to execute, it's not only evil, it's not only malicious, it's not only racist, it's not, it's not only all of those things, but it's also self-assured because he has enough power to play this long game. He's not worried about losing election in four years. He's not worried about opposing party. He enacts a law where every child born that is male is killed in the Nile and every child that is born female is allowed to live. And now some of you may be hearing this and you're like, wow, Pharaoh is a feminist. You know, and I don't want to like destroy your image of Pharaoh. I know like that you held him up to such a high esteem. But Pharaoh is not a feminist because there's lots of forms of genocide, right? We can kill people. But those, those daughters, those children born as female, who are they going to marry? There weren't going to be men from Israel. There are only going to be Egyptian men to marry. And when they marry Egyptian men, because hashtag the patriarchy, um, what were they going to be? They weren't going to be Israelite anymore. They were going to take the belief system, habits, culture of their Egyptian husbands. And who will their children be? Are they going to be from the people of Israel? They're going to be Egyptian. And who will their children and children's be? Egyptian. In a generation or two or three, this Pharaoh was going to wipe out a people from the earth. And if he was able to wipe a people from the earth, not only is that evil and racist and malicious, not only is that empire at its truest, but it would also mean that promise that God gave Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and that entire family, that that promise would never become true. And that promise to bless that family and be with that family would not, would not come true. And that promise to bring liberation and salvation to all the world would not come true. And so we saw that the midwives resisted, which is really important. It's a beautiful example of resistance. Pharaoh does it anyway. And I want you to just, like, because I'll be honest with you, you could read Exodus chapter 2 and, like, not feel any emotions, truthfully. But I want to bring you into what you would be feeling. Imagine you are a mother or a father, a soon-to-be mother or father. You have the joy of you were going to have that child, you were pregnant, let's say. And then you hear this edict. And you have this dread in your heart, this fear in your bones, because you know what happened the last time people resisted. You know the last time that people fought. Pharaoh got his way anyway. Pharaoh had more power, more soldiers, more resources, more control. And you knew that your child was in danger. And so every morning you prayed, God, would I have a daughter? God, would my child be born female? And you pray that every day. Could you imagine praying that every day? And one day giving birth, finally giving birth. And maybe the midwife or the, the grandmother with joy in her heart, looks at the baby and then sighs and says, it's a boy. And you knew what that meant. It was a death sentence. It was a death sentence. And being a father and knowing you, you couldn't do anything. You could fight, you could resist, you could, you could punch, you could run. Like, you didn't. You were powerless. And then to know that your child, the child you loved, Maybe your firstborn child 
your only child, was going to be thrown into the Nile. Okay? Where is God in that? Does God see that? Does God hear that? Does God care about that? Because there were children that were thrown into the Nile. And then, and then, after their children were thrown in the Nile, they had to wake up and go back to the enslaved labor. And what did they pass every day, every single day, to do the enslaved tasks they had? They passed the Nile. They had to see that place. And I don't know, I've had people I love die. My older brother, when he was 10, he passed away. My grandma. And let me tell you, the house where he died is something different than a house. The hospital where my grandma passed away, it's something different. It's not the same. It's been transfigured into something else. Um, Does God see that? Does God hear that? Does God care? And I'll be honest with you, when I read this this chapter, I was like, God, why not sooner? Why did any baby have to die? Why did anyone have to be enslaved? Not a generation, not a, not a year, not a month, not an hour, not a day. Why did any of that have to happen? And these are the questions we ask ourselves when we experience suffering. Where is God? Does God see this? Does God hear this? Does God care? Has God checked out? Is God somewhere else? Does God even notice? Is he getting notifications of my cries and my groaning and my requests? Or are these prayers going nowhere? Are these requests being not only unseen but unanswered? And we ask ourselves these questions today. I, before I woke up to go and do that keynote that day, I received a, a notification, an email from, from the organizer informing me that a trans woman was violently beat in Minneapolis, on Lake Street Light Rail Station. I lived on Lake Street. And I have to wake up before I go give a talk about the liberation and love of God for queer people to the reality that in our city and in our time and in our space, violence for trans lives is happening regularly. Regularly. And I don't have... I don't have to explain suffering to you. I don't have to give you an analogy. You have enough stories of your own suffering to know that you've asked yourself, does God see this? Does anybody see this? Um, A couple of years ago, my uh, my life just fell apart. It just, I lost my school, my work, my job. I dropped out of school, not once, but twice. I went back to live with my parents and I just had nothing. And it was after a season of following Jesus. And so I was like, I followed Jesus and all kind of went to hell. Does God see this? Does God hear this? And when you experience abuse and trauma, one of the things you heavily notice is that the people who caused your abuse and trauma aren't suffering what you're suffering. The people who caused you deep pain don't have to wake up and go to bed with that deep pain. They're fine. They're thriving. Maybe they're even better off for what they did to you. And you see them and they're succeeding and going on, and the world keeps going on, like nothing happened. What do we do when we live in a world that doesn't see our pain, doesn't hear our pain, doesn't care about our pain, and we're just asked to move on and act like it didn't happen, but it happened. And there's something, there's something stuck in us that needs to be healed, that needs to be made whole, that we can't get past. Does God see that? Does God hear that? Where is God? And this, this, these are the questions 
These are the questions of Exodus chapter 2. This is a question of the people of Israel. And so I want to look, I want to look at what the story has to say. Because I believe, before I do that, I, I also want to, I also want to communicate that I think that there are things that are really big that for me as a Christian, for me as a progressive Christian, it's easy to believe that God cares about. Like, I, it's so easy for me to believe that God cares about climate change. But what about wage theft? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's easy to believe that God cares about, like, uh, human trafficking and slavery. But what about your loneliness? What about your depression? What about the things that, like, you go to a party and can't really say because they're big, but they're not that big, and they hurt you, but not they, they won't understand? Like, what do we do with the big things that hurt us, the injustices, the oppression? But what about the small things? What about the things? What about... What about your father who's unemployed? What about your mother who applied for disability but keeps getting denied time and time again? What about your, your boyfriend and your partner going through their immigration process? Does God see that? Does God care about that? What about, what about just the ways that we suffer, the ways that we struggle, the ways that we try to survive? Does God see that? And so at the end of the passage that we read at the end of Exodus 2, I want to read to you what it says. And it says this, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. So somehow, thousands of years ago, there was a people that had to write down what their experience with God, with the infinite, with the divine, with the creator, with the one in whom all things move, live, and have their being. And these are the words that he wrote down. That God heard. That God saw. That God knew. And I just want you to, like, let's think about that for a moment, that characterization. God has an ear canal. God has an eyeball. God has brain tissue. God heard. God saw. The infinite. And, and ultimately, the question that we ask ourselves today is, what is God like? Because we have several options. And I want you to know that actually back in the day, the question was not if there's a God. The question was which God. And that's a very important question, and I truly believe that that's the question today. Which God? Is Pharaoh God? Is Yahweh God? Which God? Because if you are marginalized and if you are oppressed at that time, you'd have to ask yourself, if God is powerful, is God like the powerful? If God is powerful, is God like the powerful, like the ones who have all the money and the land, the ones who have all the authority and the chariots and the horses and the soldiers and the swords, the ones that have all the lawyers and accountants and bankers? Is God like them? Because we've seen them. We know what the powerful are like in 2023. We know what they're like. They're distant. They're aloof. They're cruel. They think only of themselves. They're insecure. You know, they buy a social media site and then, like, tweet a lot. Like, 
Like, we've seen what the powerful are like. And you have to ask yourself, when you are being oppressed, I've seen what the powerful are like. Is that what God is like? Is he cruel? Is he distant? Is he in a throne somewhere else? Is he discarded us? Has he forgotten his promise to us? Because those pharaohs forgot a lot of promises. Those leaders forgot a lot of things. Those, those pharaohs didn't go visit the Israelites where they lived. Those pharaohs did not see them as human, did not see their dignity, their divinity, their sacredness. They did not hear their cries. They did not care about their complaints. Those pharaohs, that kind of God was very, very different. What is God like? Does God see? Does God hear? Does God care? And I, I think the story about Moses in the river and in the wilderness show us a God who's so close, who's so present, who's so intimate. My one point for our time together is that the infinite is not impersonal. The infinite is intimate. The infinite is not impersonal. The infinite is intimate. So we got to do some math. I, I hate math, but we're going to do some math just very quickly. Uh, how many of you know what density is? Raise your hand. You feel like you, good, you get it, density. How much stuff over how much space? Okay, right? So like the density of good food on Lake Street is super high. Amen? The density of good food at Applebee's, very low. I can't say non-zero, but very low. Okay? Very low. And I used to love Applebee's, but then I realized I loved it because I was with friends, and then I went alone, and then the food tasted the way it actually tastes. Yeah, so that's what density is, right? Amount of stuff over amount of space. Okay, so a lot of people, the way they think about the infinite, the divine God, is that God has infinite volume, infinite space. God is everywhere. But when you have something that's infinitely big, it can seem like they are infinitely far, infinitely somewhere else, infinitely uninterested in you. Because they're so big. Think about it. If God is bigger than the universe, why would he care about this galaxy, this solar system, this planet, this species? Maybe the way God thinks about us is the way you think about fungi. Not a lot, except when he watches The Last of Us. You know, that's when God thinks a lot about humanity too. Because God is watching, right? Definitely that. I'm watching. Anyway, so, um, but really, like, if God is big and really far, like, that's what a lot of, I think a lot of people think of God as God made the world and maybe just checked out, left. Or maybe God is some kind of energy or force where your death and your suffering, like, he's just agnostic to or just a, a uninterested in. It's just like, uh, it happens. You know what I mean? It's just a force, right? What is God like? But I don't, but I think if we go back to that formula of stuff over space, of mass over volume, what if God is infinite mass? What if it's not that the universe, it's not that he spread out over everything. It's that every square inch is dripping with God. What if God's infiniteness means that there is no ounce, there is no blade of grass, there is no person, there is no ocean, no river that is not full and overflowing with God? What if God is infinite and, and God is? And she's everywhere and in everything. And so think about this. Like you, you think about sociology, you have a team of people. They have a relational capacity of about six, seven people. When you add an eighth or ninth or 10th or 20th person, each additional person limits the amount of 
relationship, intimacy that can happen within that team. The same is true for a community. We've done some sociological studies about 150 to 250. That's what your network can really be before you can't really know or love or care for or recognize people as effectively, right? So if I add five more friends, I only have relational capacity for so much. But that's not what God is like at all. God is infinite. God is infinite. God can fully be present, close, and personal to me at the same time as being fully present, close, and loving to you. And God's love for you does not limit God's love for me. God is infinite. And the reason that God is not like those pharaohs is because those pharaohs were small and insecure and scared, right? They, they had so much insecurity, right? They, they were not strong. They were weak. They were not selfish. They were selfish, right? God is infinite. And those resources and that infiniteness allow God to be close to ants and fungi and other planets and you fully, 100%. So now let's go back to the story. Let's go back to the river. So where does God choose to start the story of liberation for the people of Israel and Egypt? He chooses to start the story in the Nile. Now imagine if you were a mother who lost someone in the Nile and you found out that the place that God was going to start the liberation and the salvation was in the reeds and in the mud of that place. And so we can really see that God is with Moses, right? Like you can, you know, I, uh, I'm not a good swimmer. I've almost drowned in three feet, six inches of water before. And as you can tell, like if you put like a baby in a basket, it's not a guaranteed like that's going to work out for you. And truthfully, I just want to say as a planner, as an Enneagram 3, bad plan. Like, who's going to pick that baby? Like, that's a really bad plan. I, I'm glad you believed. That's awesome. But just think about that. Like, best case scenario, someone picks them up and doesn't kill them. Like, but also, like, you, the river you picked was like, oh, downstream, down this river. Uh, like, it's like putting a Jewish baby in a basket and downstream is like Nazi headquarters. And maybe the daughter of Hitler will be like, ah, you know, like, it's not a great plan. And yet somehow God guided this little basket and baby, protected and loved and, and, and took it all. And like, think about the detail of that. Like, she was going to have, option A was, her baby died. And now option B is, she is going to be paid to take care of her own baby because of the foolishness of the powerful, right? So yet, did you see that attention to detail of that story? Like, what if God cares about the font size? What if God cares about the hex color of your life? What if God cares about, you know, what if God cares about the little spacing between the letters? What if God cares about the margins? Amen? Think about that. Like, the, the amount of care in that story. He was now not going to just grow up. He was going to grow up with all the opportunities and privileges afforded to him and, and all paid by the enemy, all paid by the devil, you know? So it's easy to see that God loved, showed up for, protected Moses. And that's where I want us to go a little bit further. And I just want to like give a little like exit sign if you if you want to if you want to drop out. Like we're going to talk about suffering and we're going to talk about uh, it's a metaphor, right? And that metaphor may fall short. So if this serves you, supports you, helps you on your journey, amazing. If it doesn't, let it, let it kind of go follow. But what if God was in that river before Moses stepped into it? What if God was in that river when atrocities were being done? What if 
it wasn't just the mothers and the fathers weeping. What if God was weeping too? What if God was fully present for each of the people that were lost? And I I think this is one of the things that I want us to think about is there can be no real justice, no full justice without God and the life to come. Now, I think that you need to understand that the book of Exodus is about justice here now. It's like judgment's about to show up, justice is about to happen. But without a God who sees injustice, all of it, hears injustice, all of it, and cares about injustice, all of it, we cannot have real justice. Because where is the justice for the baby that was drowned? There is no money that we could give their family that can make up for that. We should give them money. We should have all the forms of reparation for all the forms of injustice in the world. But we have to recognize theologically that there are, there is harm that we can cause one another that we do not have the technology to bring justice to. There is harm that we can cause one another that unless God is real and God is going to bring justice one day, they're not going to have justice. An enslaved person who was born enslaved and died enslaved requires justice still. A monument is nice. Museums are nice. Money for family is great. We'll do all of that. But we need to have justice. They were due joy and they did not receive joy. They were due peace and they did not receive peace. And I believe, I believe that God, I believe that God was in the Nile. I believe that God is in Lake Street and in light rails. I believe that God is in some of the most deepest pains and atrocities that we experience. But I want you to know that where else would a mother be? Where else would a mother be? Was it not her, our heavenly mother, that carried each of those babies into the next life? And I know maybe that's not comforting to you right now. I've lost people, you've lost people. But I'm, I'm letting you know right now that unless those children have full justice and they can have full lives and full everything that is due to them, we don't have real justice. And God will bring us justice. God will bring us justice here and now but also everywhere and forever. Amen? And so I think it's so important for you to realize that there are places of deep pain in your life that God chooses to make places of great provision. There are places that you've cut off from your body, from yourself, from your faith, and you look at and you can only see bad. You can only see harm. You can only see trauma. But God is God over everything, and God will make all evil submit to your good. God will take all evil, all harm. He will address every injustice. He will hold everyone accountable. Because again, there are people who lived and died oppressors. There are people who oppressed and oppressed and oppressed, and they got away with it. Not only did they get away with it, they got money and power. God will hold them all accountable. We have good news for the oppressed and the marginalized, that God is a judge. For a long time as a queer person, the idea of God judging me was so scary was so frightening because I was told by the powerful that God was going to judge me and exclude me from life. But let me tell you that the fact that God is a judge is good news because there is no evil that goes unseen. There is no harm that goes unaddressed. There is, no one gets away with anything. Amen? And we want that here and now. We want that everywhere and forever. The second way we see this is how God was intimate with Moses, not only in the river, but God was intimate in the wilderness. So think about Moses. You just killed an Egyptian who was beating, beating one of your fellow 
um, Israelites. And now you realize everyone knows. And you know your life is over. Whatever career dreams you had, over. Whatever family community, you won't see them for a long time. You are a dead man. When the Pharaoh wants you dead, you die. And so his life is over, so he runs away. And I've run away before. Maybe you've run away before, whether actually or figuratively. But he thought his life was over, but it was just beginning. He thought the end was now. But God was so much more creative. I believe right here in our community, we have some of the most creative people on the planet. I really believe that. I I believe that in every form of art. But I just want you to know that in comparison to God, we have such small imaginations. Such small imaginations. I, I drop out of school and I have no idea how God could use me again. Oh, honey. God is so creative. You lose your job and you don't know how you ever work. God is so creative. But, but again, we also lose more than jobs in school. Sometimes we lose, love, lose loved ones. And we honestly can't imagine a life without them. And God somehow, she holds us and takes us into a new future. She is present. She's not far away. She's close. Every square inch of creation is dripping, dripping with God. And so, as we, as we close, as we close, I, I, I just, I, I don't know, I don't know what your suffering is. I don't know how long you've been in the wilderness. I don't know what your Nile is. Some of us have a Nile. What if God could use your greatest suffering? What if God could co-opt it, hijack it, transform it for your good? What if one day we all look at everything in creation, everything in our lives, and we will, hold them, and we will say, even this God used for my good. What if God wins overall? And what if God is with you in the wilderness? And sometimes your wilderness is not a week or a month. It's not even a year. It's years. I was in the wilderness for years. I would say about four years of like just surviving after all that happened after that, recovering just for honestly like two to four weeks of my life. And I'm near the end of that, and I'm at a job I don't like, and I go to a team meeting, and I experience, you know, stuff that happens in corporate world where you feel unrecognized and undervalued and kind of disrespected. And I was just, I'm so done. And I remember just cleaning out my entire desk and just being like, I'm done. I'm, I'm out. I, I just, I don't want to do this anymore. And I had been praying for years, praying for a better job and a career, praying for a boyfriend and a husband, praying for an opportunity to give of myself because I hadn't done ministry in years. And I saw God within one month of time, after again, four years of nothing, bring all of the things that, that I was missing. I remember uh, that day when I cleaned my desk, I went to an event I volunteered at. I spoke for five minutes. The president of that organization was like, we need to hire that kid. And they offered me a job. I had been looking for a job for years, worried about job for years. And actually, before I even graduated high school, I was with that organization. God had already had a job set up for me. God was not worried. God is the source of all things. I start on a Monday. On Friday, I meet... I mean, my husband, Favo. And two, right? And two weeks before that, I give my first sermon at New City Church after years of not preaching, years of not doing ministry. And so today, this month, I'm celebrating four years with Favo. I'm celebrating four years um, at my organization, and I'm celebrating four years of preaching at New City Church.
And I tell you that because God heard me. And God saw me. And God knew me. And God sees you. And God hears you. And God cares about you. Even when the empire doesn't. Even when your job doesn't. Even when some friends and family don't. The God of the universe, she's not impersonal. The infinite is intimate. Amen? Thank you.